To start out, I will confess that career self-determination is a very personal topic for me. Back in 1992, just at the time I was starting up my own company, I watched my father, an aerospace engineer, lose his job and therefore his 30-year career as part of a corporate downsizing that eliminated 2,000 people from his employer's payroll in a single week. His job was the one thing that defined him, and to make matters worse, he was just a year away from retirement, a retirement that would no longer be supported by the pension that he had been contributing to. I will say that he never recovered from that trauma. It affected me too, not just because it was my father, but because this event, this activity of getting fired from a place to which he, like so many millions of others, had dedicated his time, his education and his experience for so long, had manifested the greatest fear that almost all working people harbor. The trauma of this event made me want to identify ways in which people can protect themselves against such a crushing experience, not only on that day that the termination happens, but during all those years of work that precede it, those years in which people mutter under their breath, if I screw this up, I'm going to get fired. Hello and welcome to Cool Time Life. I'm Steve Prentice. Each of our Cool Time Life podcasts focuses on a topic dealing with people, productivity, technology, and life, and each offers ideas and facts that you need to know about to thrive in today's increasingly busy world. An index of our podcast is available at steveprentice.com under the podcast link. This fear of job loss is at the heart of my new book, which has just been released from A-Press, and it's entitled The Future of Workplace Fear. How Human Reflex Stands in the Way of Digital Transformation. It takes a look at digital transformation from the perspective of the people that it will affect in ways that the designers and purchasers of new digital technology might not always contemplate. Any new technology brings with it a degree of change, and whenever change happens, it rocks the foundations of the lives of the people upon whom that change has been foisted. Change is not generally welcome. Every change that happens in our lives, every new thing, must be filtered through a series of internal priorities that essentially come down to answering the question, how will this hurt me? It has to be that way. Every unknown that confronts every one of us must be addressed by our internal operating system whose job it is to keep us alive. Therefore, the response to all change is to assess its danger to the status quo before accepting any possible benefits. For most working people, that status quo includes their current job, which is helping pay for the things that are needed to stay alive and employable. That's food, shelter, transport, and a way to protect those close to us. To lose the source of funding for these vital life activities would be the worst thing of all. Therefore, any novelty, a new technology, a new manager, a new approach to working, or a seismic shift within the company itself, anything from a merger through to a ransomware attack, will disturb the delicate and often tenuous balance of daily life. So when new technologies or techniques enter this fray, the first response is seldom, great, it's going to be, oh no, what now? In the book, I use password management software as a recurring example of this. Cyber hygiene, as it is often called, is an absolutely vital component of workplace life. Crimes such as hacking and phishing grow more sophisticated by the day, and much of it leverages human beings as the weak point. It is a human who will click on a phishing link in an email. It is a human who will use and reuse easy-to-remember passwords. And it is a human who will use coffee shop Wi-Fi or a home-based router to get some of their work done. The fundamental imperative for the human is to get the work done and not to get the manager upset. 
The fundamental fear is that to make a mistake or to be late with a work assignment will quickly eat away at one's sense of job security. And the fundamental constant knowledge is that there's always someone else out there, often somebody younger and cheaper, who can replace you. The tendency to willingly click on what looks like an important message from management or from a customer, but which is actually a phishing email, is driven by that primary fear of the pressure of time, to fill every moment with work, to not say no to anything, and to therefore get through the backlogs of email and tasks as quickly as humanly possible, with no time allowed for critical thinking. Learning a new software such as a password manager comes with the threat of looking incompetent during the learning phase, paired with the fear of losing control over the passwords themselves. This fear looms larger in the mind than does the greater danger that phishing and password breaches could actually present somewhere further in the future. Managers are not immune to this fear either. Managers define themselves and therefore their value to their company by their ability to manage their department and the people within so that their manager above them remains pleased. When a manager is confronted by the prospect of the team working from their homes, for example, out of sight and physically in a different space, it is a natural reflex for that manager to say, no, I do not like this. This changes how I manage people and I don't like it. If I screw this up, I'll get fired. Or at the very least, I won't be able to manage. This is why so much of the resistance to the work-from-home or hybrid work scenario of the new normal finds greatest pushback from those who do the managing. The threats to their stasis eclipse any benefits that such a working arrangement could possibly bring, at least in their minds. Fear is natural, but people should not have to exist under a dark storm cloud of fear living with the constant apprehension of losing their job. This fear should not be the primary motivator for getting out of bed in the morning, nor should this particular fact remain unaddressed and unknown. A vital thing to remember about the inner workings of ourselves is that we too are a hybrid, an uneven balance of emotion and logic. We have evolved enough of a brain to be able to think about things, yet we remain dominated by emotion. A simple example of this is decision-making. You can set out all the facts, which is logic, but your decision will come down to a feeling, which is emotion. Emotion rules because it is the oldest. It existed before the cerebral cortex grew into a thinking machine and consequently owns more real estate in the brain. But fear can ultimately be managed by facts. If we fear something, then it is our job to know what the solution would be. Any work-related issue that you fear or procrastinate on can be solved or at least managed by taking the time to assess the facts. In the case of the password manager example, people fear using it because it might make them look incompetent if they make a mistake, and that might lead eventually to them losing their job. And as I said before, they also fear losing control over their passwords. The best way to get people to overcome these particular fears would be with the tangible facts of experience. To give them a chance to try the software out in a safe situation, to play with it repeatedly, to make the mistakes that come with learning. But sadly, most organizations place very little stock in thorough training, largely due to its perceived cost. But training cannot be done in a day or in an hour. It needs to be done iteratively, over time, so that the skills and the awareness get absorbed into the body at the pace that the body is capable of. In the case of the ultimate fear, my approach to this is to have the so-what solution in place. I have found that the fear of losing one's job is a huge millstone around everyone's neck. My father certainly had it, and he relied on hope alone that he would make it to retirement if he just kept his head down. That gambit did not work for him. In my book, then, I suggest that career self-management is the best antidote to career fear. If you wake up every morning fearful of losing your job, then do something to resolve that fear. 
Get to know what else is out there, what other work opportunities exist. The good news, well no, actually the great news, is that there has never been a better time for this. Career mobility has leapt forward enormously in recent years, and especially in recent months, as can be seen in events such as the Great Resignation, in which people have been resigning from their current jobs in much greater numbers as they realize that, A, their current job with its costs in time, money, and stress just isn't worth it, and B, there are other jobs out there with better working conditions, including work from home for those who want it. The secret is to maintain that degree of connectedness. I have long been a fan of LinkedIn ever since it first came out, actually as a place for proactive career management. Contrary to what many people think, LinkedIn is not about looking for a help-wanted ad the day after you get fired. LinkedIn and similar forms of networking should be a daily proactive activity, nurturing a collection of professional peers who you respect and whose work you would recommend. Because these are the people that can make things happen for you and vice versa. Similarly, I am a proponent of daily micro-learning opportunities, using carefully curated channels on Twitter, believe it or not, which will help keep your knowledge about industry developments, anything you need to know about your chosen profession, up-to-date and valuable by receiving instruction and information in manageable daily amounts. Twitter is often maligned as being a cesspool of hatred and rumor and so forth, and there's no question there's a lot of it on there. However... There is also a great collection of great people in your industry who you need to know. That's what it was designed for in the first place, and these people still exist, and they still communicate. The problem is, we are all kept too busy to do that. Or we have allowed our lives to become too busy to generate this type of proactive career safety net. We have been conditioned, collectively, from grade school onwards to believe that any time that is not spent doing something is time wasted. This has led us into time management nightmares such as back-to-back meetings, ever-increasing amounts of email, and the fear that taking a break or even a personal day will quickly come around as a ding on the old career credit rating. Time spent shirking is not valuable time. Of course, nothing could be further from the truth. In my book, Future of Fear, as well as in my time management book, Cool Time, I seek to reinforce the benefits of the 80-20 rule, in which 20% of your time should be spent on proactive career-building activities, including forging relationships with people inside the office and outside, especially a more proactive one with your manager, and as well taking time for micro-learning opportunities and for personal health. These are the things that in the end will yield greater productivity for your job and your life and will actually make things safer for you. I will always say you can get more done in 80% of your time than you will in 100% of your time if you use that other 20 for these kinds of things. But just like the fear of the password manager, we hold back in case the optics are bad. We give the control back to the person or circumstances who should never be allowed to have it, at least to that degree. But... These are new times, and people are finally discovering that they can shake off the grey flannel suit mentality that dominated the decades of the 20th century. Work is beginning to be redefined by something more than years or decades at a single company, and education, the knowledge that helps you land that job and move forward, is now available as a daily news feed rather than a five-year stint at a university or college. The only career that is worth wholly caring about is you, your career as a living human. And it is allowed to take the turns and paths of your choosing, as you now have access to the maps. If my father had felt this spirit during his working time, perhaps he would have enjoyed the adventure that aerospace engineering should have been. And I know there are billions of people out there who are also missing out on that same pleasure. 
So that's what the future of workplace fear is largely about. On the surface, it appears to be just about new technologies or workplace change or digital transformation. But circling below it all like a shark in the water are much more primordial fears that speak to our very physical existence. The good news is we have the capacity to take control over these fears by balancing them with facts. And there's no better time to start than now. So there you have it, my little podcast on workplace fear in acknowledgement of the release of my new book on the topic, which should be out kind of now. If you have a comment about this podcast, you can drop me a line through the contact form at steveprentice.com, where you'll also find my social media links. A full listing of past episodes is available at steveprentice.com slash podcast. I try to keep the episodes evergreen so that the concepts do not get dated too quickly. So check them out and download whatever feels good. And if you want, you can now order the book, which has more to say on the subjects. You can go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble and search for The Future of Workplace Fear, or simply go to steveprentice.com and check it out on its dedicated page there. Until next time, I am Steve Prentice. Stay safe, and thanks for listening. <laughs>